Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So my husband dated a beauty queen title holder of a well-known pageant before me. They broke up long before we met, but she was a statuesque blonde, very tall, a knockout in her day, in my opinion anyway. But this is something important to the story, I guess. While she was a, a dazzling pageant winner on the outside, on the inside, oh boy. She could be charming and beautiful if she needed you, but mostly... She just treated people around her terribly, including my husband, and he eventually broke it off with her. But she just never really went away. She would continue to call and email repeatedly, even after my husband and I met. If anything, her calls increased, in fact. She would call over and over again, day and night, even after my husband, then boyfriend, blocked her number. She would ask for money and threaten to go to the police claiming that he abused her if he didn't give it to her. He obviously did not give her the money and this made her very upset. The threats increased and became more malicious but when that didn't work she would switch tactics and try and sweetly ask him for help with certain projects that she was trying to get off the ground. At this point she now needed to generate an income with the promise too that if he did just this one last thing for her she would go away he didn't reply she would go back to being malicious any tactic for attention i suppose or for what she really wanted money but my husband he was terrified because of course while he never actually did anything to her it would be her word over his and he was terrified of ruining his reputation and career 
We, uh, unfortunately ended up in an event that she also attended. She'd been waiting for us to arrive and had placed herself near the entrance of the event. As we walked in, she stood across the room, looking me up and down and sort of laughing and whispering into the ear of her date, making a point to try and make me uncomfortable. But that was okay. She was easily ignored until, well, she ambushed me as I came out of the bathroom. She had clearly been waiting for a moment that I was alone. She towered over me too. She was very tall. I had no intention of having it out with her or anything, and as I hurriedly walked to find my husband, she kept pace beside me, hunched over, so she was at my eye level. I'm 5'5". Her head was also turned towards me. She was like a caricature of herself as she ambled beside me, smiling sort of maniacally. Where's your man? She hissed in her heavy accent. Her eyes were black and she looked like out of a Tim Burton movie, hunched over with that crazy demonic smile. Watch your back, Pug, she added, grinning. She liked to call me names like Pug because I own Pugs and I guess she thought that this was an insult. What I didn't know then was while I was in the bathroom, she had walked over to my husband and had thrown her arms around him while he was in mid-conversation with someone and introduced herself to the man that he was talking to as if she and my husband were together. My husband unwrapped himself from her clutches and told her to beat it. She then beelined and waited for me to come out of the washroom. We uh, stopped going to the parties after this. The last time that we ran into her though was at a funeral for a mutual friend. She followed me around at the wake and as my husband, boyfriend at the time, was talking to the man's widow, I was talking to a friend and his wife. She walked right up and stood with us, joining us mid-conversation as if she were part of the group or something. It was unnerving but also just really bizarre I guess. I mean it was a funeral and I didn't want to make a scene. So I silently picked up my wine glass off the bar and walked away, leaving her with the couple that I'd been speaking to and her staring at me with a smirk on her face. All in all, it was really annoying, but it was manageable, I guess. However, the emails, calls, they never stopped. She would call my husband over and over, day and night, even though he had long blocked her number. She would even drive by I found my car keyed one night after I left it outside too, but obviously I couldn't really prove that it was her. But enough was enough at this point. My husband had a lawyer send a cease and desist, and after the first, she called him from a private number. He answered, and she said, Hi, it's me, in a sort of sing-song voice like they were the best of friends, and he hadn't just sent her a lawyer's letter ordering her to stay away from him and he his family. He said nothing and hung up though and another cease and desist was sent, and then a third. Nothing would make her go away it seemed though. I guess she just did not actually think that my husband was capable of not wanting to be with her because, you know, her beauty and all. Eventually though, she got really ticked off that he was not giving in, so she decided to take this rage to the internet. I knew that she was absolutely checking out my social media, but I don't really use it that much, so I didn't care. However, she created a fake Twitter account and tweeted, my husband's name is a fraud, and tagged his colleagues, friends, investors, family members, every single person that she could think of to try and ruin his reputation and career. 
Not on New Year's Eve, she posted on my Instagram account at exactly 12.01am. Happy New Year, scrud. Social media settings were all put to private, though. We went to the police armed with emails, threatening to give her money or she would go to the police. And she was charged with two counts of harassment and a restraining order was put into place. To our shock, though, the next day after her arrest, our phones were buzzing. This story had made front page news. Clearly it was a slow news day, right? Well, her day in court came right before COVID. We arrived to the courthouse and sort of sat down and she walked in. And we were shocked by her appearance. Actually, shocked is probably an understatement. She was unrecognizable from her former self. Gone was the statuesque dazzling blonde... She had apparently shaved her head and was wearing a short, ratty brown wig. She had gained about 80 pounds, give or take, and was now sort of hunched. With her height and new girth, she looked like a linebacker, if I'm being honest. She wore a bulky brown overcoat and a scarf tied over her wig, like a babushka. My immediate thought, though, was her outside now matches her inside. But it was her eyes that I noticed the most. About a year earlier, we had shown a photo of her to our kids so that if she ever approached them, they knew to run. At the time, my son, who was young, commented that she had mean eyes. From the mouth of babes, right? Maybe it was that she had changed so much physically overall, but her eyes were dark and had narrowed into deep sort of black slits. As she scanned the courtroom and saw us in court, she would turn around every so often to look back at us and glare. She would then whisper in her lawyer's ear and laugh as if she were having a grand time. We thought that she was putting on a brave face and treating it all like a joke, but we were about to find out that getting arrested would not slow her down. The restraining order didn't seem to face her at all. If anything, I think it just angered her even more. But from then on, every day and night, she would post from multiple fake social media accounts, posting photos of myself, of my husband. She would put up my husband's photos with captions of pedophile or other terrible names. She posted altered and unflattening photos of myself. She called me old and ugly. Those are the G-rated ones too, mind you. And listen, I'm definitely no beauty queen myself. The name calling, while obsessive and gross, wasn't what bothered me most to be honest. Although, I'm not going to lie, seeing hundreds of photos of myself on her fake Twitter account calling me ugly and obsessively pointing out every single perceived flaw did succeed in getting me down at times. But why did I keep looking? Because it was like getting a glimpse into her unraveled mind, just in case it was a clue of what she was capable or thinking of doing next because it wasn't her insulting post that fazed me. What bothered me most were the sinister captions, like, keep an eye on your kids because I'm watching, or why don't you plant some flowers in your front garden, or be good to your kids because you never know what could happen. How was your Uber Eats order? She would post pictures of me with an arrow directed to my head, which I perceived to be a gun to my head. She posted pictures of my husband's workplace, which she was not allowed to be near, in accordance to the restraining order, but the police said that this could just be a picture that she took from the internet. Right. 
She posted Agatha Christie quotes like every killer is usually someone you know well or your end is near. Her Twitter profile banner picture was taken from a movie poster and said stalker like she was in on the joke. We called the police again but they said that there wasn't anything that they could do since she didn't actually tag us. I took screenshots of everything. Many of her posts were just nonsensical but most were photos posted of us on this fake account, all altered with derogatory or ominous captions. But still, we just couldn't shut her down. I became anxious anytime my kids were outside shooting hoops in the driveway. My elderly mother wouldn't take the baby out in the stroller. She was too scared. It really affected all of our lives. Like, became dramatic. Ex-beauty queen would taunt us with catch me if you can. She posted close-ups of her dog's genitals or a piece of her dog's turds with my name beside it. The implication obvious. It really bothered me too that she now had a dog since I didn't think someone like her was capable of caring for anything living. But then the call started back up. This time to our home line. Yes, we still have a home line. We're one of those people. She would say nasty things and then just hang up. She would say things like karma will get you and then weird chant-like calls as if she was reciting a spell. Sure enough, she posted photos of a pentagram and candles as some sort of altar and the caption ring ring. Finally too, finally the police asked us to come in and give video statements. We gave them a drive containing thousands of screenshots of posts that she had made and they arrested her again and charged her with two more counts of criminal harassment. My husband was angry at this point, but as a mama bear, I just wanted to get this over with. She mentioned the kids frequently and ominously many times in her online rants, also calling them rude names, which I won't repeat here because these are the things that upset me the most. The judge also issued a social media ban for her. By the time that she was rearrested for the second time, her fake Twitter account, which was literally mostly insults or references to my family, had 16,000 tweets in a three-month period. She has no followers, mind you, so they were just to herself. The adult sites I had been continuously being tagged on stopped, thankfully. Things quieted down tremendously, but I still get follower requests that I believe are her. But at this point, we were all on edge. And I kid you not, I felt weird walking into my kitchen at night to make a sandwich, feeling creeped out that she was outside watching or something. I put nothing past her as nothing is more dangerous than a desperate woman who has nothing to lose, right? Which, by the way, was one of the quotes that she posted. I don't know what is wrong with her. I believe from what I've researched that she's a malignant narcissist. Perhaps some other mental issues at play here, but I can say that she was a terrible person long before she decided to try and make our lives miserable. A crazy beauty queen turned stalker. I would love nothing more than to never see you again, but if going to court helps you stay away from us forever, then bring it, I suppose. As an aside, I wanted to mention that we've heard from a reliable source that after my husband broke up with her, she allegedly became known to the police for other reasons too. 
What I mean is that while my husband dodged a bullet regarding her threats to go to the police saying that he abused her, apparently other men have not been so lucky. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm 57 years old now, but this is a memory that just never goes away, never fades. In 1986, I stopped in Topeka KS. It was on my way back from working in Yellowstone National Park for the summer. My friend had also just graduated from high school a few years before and had moved to Topeka with his parents. I stayed about a week. His parents invited me to stay an extra day for their family reunion before I headed back home. And we drove out into the country for their family reunion in this old beater car and spent all day with his extended family. In the late afternoon we made our way back in his old beater car with the broken gas gauge. We ran out of gas and he said that we were probably six to seven miles from the nearest gas station, pre-cell phone. We were trying to figure out what to do when suddenly a van with no windows pulls over and asks us if we need help. When you're young, you think that these things just miraculously happen for you, right? When you're older, you know a bit better. We tell him, though, that we ran out of gas. A friendly enough man offers to take us to the nearest gas station, so we get into the van to discover that there are a total of three men in the vehicle. There are no seats in the back. We're just sitting on the floor of what appears to be a work-type beat-up old model white van when we clearly hear the men discussing doing us harm. The driver says that he knows a good place to go. The other man in the passenger seat, now eyeing me, agrees that he's in and nods approval. Only one man sitting near us says that he's not in and doesn't want to be involved in this at all. That he's got a baby now and he's not cool with this. That he doesn't want any part of it. The driver in the passenger seat rider said something under their breaths that I couldn't hear. There was an angry silence while the driver thought this over and in my mind I just prayed one word. Help. My mind felt like I was stuttering thoughts. Part of me was in denial Another part was in shock. Fear hadn't even set in yet, to be honest. Just like a jolt to the system of unreal horror happening to someone else because an hour ago I was completely safe without a care in the world. And now, the absurd idea of someone doing something to me. And yes, I was acutely aware that sexual assault and murder was on the cards here. 
and leaving us somewhere nobody would find us. Those things were flipping through my mind. And have you ever been to Kansas? Lots of lonely, godforsaken, desolate roads to pretty much nowhere out there. If at this point the third guy changed his mind or simply said just let him out first, I wouldn't be sharing this with you right now. They stopped talking to each other eventually and they'd never spoken to us at all from the moment that we entered the van. My friend and I didn't speak to each other at all too. We barely looked at each other. We were just afraid I think. I could hear the clanging rattle trap vans noises and the tires on the road. I saw my friend flexing as if to warn that he would fight to defend himself while they were discussing where they would take us. And everything just felt so, I don't know, surreal. But the guy in the back, that guy said no. And just like that, the driver pulled over and the guy in the back opened up the side door and let us out and it was over. The air smelt fragile and tainted somehow though. The ground looked different like I couldn't quite trust it. My friend looked as shaken as I felt and we had just survived a close encounter with shark-like predators, the blackest of evil. I looked at the gas station in the late afternoon waning sunset just before dark. That gas station had transformed itself into a beacon of shining light now, a safe haven of shelter and safety, and I knew once we got into that gas station that there was no way that I would walk back to that car. The white van with no windows pulling away from us felt surreal, I suppose, like looking at it might give it power to suck us up into the vacuum of ill intent that it had. Today, I can still see that van pulling away, a sort of mirage from a nightmare that had crossed over into my waking reality. So if I typed up everything that has happened and everything leading up to this, it would be a book. Instead, I'll try and keep it as short as possible, so apologies in advance if it's a little bit long. So I was like 19 or 20, it was 2013 to 2014, and I was in an extremely abusive relationship where I became pregnant. Most of the paranormal stuff happened post-physically leaving the relationship, but I'll begin with the little things that occurred while I still lived with my ex. So we lived in a basement apartment in New York, and on my nights while we watched TV in bed, the bare light bulb hanging from the ceiling in the bathroom would fade on and off by itself, almost with intention. My gut told me too that something was trying to get my attention. I stared at it and every time that I would look away it would happen again. No one was pulling the chain mind you to turn it on or off or anything. It was bizarre but someone brushed this off right? Well another night in the storage room next to our bedroom that nobody ever entered. Mysteriously a stool dropped hard to the ground. It startled us but again we just sort of dismissed it. My ex was weird about always having music playing while we slept. And for some reason, I didn't think too much of it, and I sleep very well, so I didn't mind the noise. One night, though, out of nowhere, the radio volume went full blast as we slept without anyone touching it. 
Again, something most would brush off, but it was a little bit weird. Something curious I'll add to is that early on in the relationship during the honeymoon phase when everything was bunnies and rainbows, I would sometimes catch my ex staring at me with a very sort of intense gaze that gave me predator sort of prey vibes. I asked him laughing once what was wrong with his eyes because while his eyes were already dark, it seemed like they had intensified right in front of me. But it was also late so I just dismissed this as my mind playing tricks. In hindsight though, he reacted too relaxed to what I had said. But he was off in general so I didn't press him. But now to the heavier stuff. So, the very night that I escaped my ex, a horror movie in itself, my cousin let me stay in an apartment that she was temporarily staying at. She lived high up in a brick apartment building, had no pets, lived with her husband and toddler, and I slept in her son's room that night with the door and the window shut. It was a pretty empty room, just a crib, my twin mattress on the floor and a table. I was of course very depressed and afraid that night, but in the early morning hours, while laying on my back staring at the ceiling, I felt something on my upper left thigh, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw what seemed like a small, dark, cat-like, in its movement creature. I froze, but I was able to move, but it just sort of curled up on my thigh, stared at me a bit, and then just gracefully leapt off. I didn't look at it, I was in just too much shock, I think. But when I did look over that way, it was gone. I got up like normal and was going through way too much emotionally to even discuss this with my cousin who was a busy person getting ready for work anyway. But fast forward and I've now moved back to my parents home in Florida. Anxiety and depression is at an all time high but I have to push through right? I had about one month to get healthy for my due date and I was very much going through it. The worst time of my life in fact I think, being harassed from afar by my ex daily, the terrible threats, coming to terms with my failed relationship, the abuse I endured, etc. I isolated myself to fear and depression mostly. And this is when things got really weird. I was so afraid of my ex coming down to Florida, breaking into my house and harming me that I would sleep in my mother's bed while she watched TV for the remainder of my pregnancy. She later on told me that on my nights that she'd look over at the bedroom door as I slept and saw a shadowy figure, the silhouette of a person that seemed like it was facing or watching me sleep. She also said that she would see it peering over the empty crib and my son wasn't born yet. She kept this from me for my mental health until later on but... After giving birth, I was still very much depressed, but I was taking care of my son as best as I could. I was going to therapy and stuff too, and I was constantly fighting with my family. One night too, I let my PTSD get the best of me and had a very big fight with my family members, and I ended up sleeping in jail overnight. Turns out, while I was in jail that night, my father, who had nothing to do with the fight, experienced the same exact cat creature encounter as I did, down to every last detail that I had not told him. He claims that he was in bed and felt something scurrying in the room. Then he felt something on his left thigh, looking out of the corner of his eye and stuff, and I had not told him any of this, mind you. 
Now one day, we were talking about my ex and all the strange things happening with two guests in my living room. My mother had a small religious altar with two candles in it, and they were lit. They were really sturdy candle holders too that she had had for like forever. When suddenly, as we were speaking of a dark topic, one of them just spontaneously burst. Glass broken in place and it just went everywhere and my guests were spooked and so were we. I think it's important to note that the house that I was living in, I had lived in for like over 14-ish years of my life at this point, so it's not like the house itself was haunted. This was all very new to me though and it felt very much attached to me in some way. After all, it seemed to follow me even in my cousin's apartment in a different state. I would hear knocks in threes all over my house, sometimes at my door and my mother would tell me not to open it. Most times it would be within the house, on surfaces around me. You know how certain surfaces or materials just sort of sound different? I'll try to give an example. So I was hanging up my son's baby clothes on a drying rack with my headphones in. I was very focused. I take out my headphones and suddenly hear three knocks within the house followed by a loud bang and my son crying. I ran to his crib down the hall and grabbed him. Didn't see anything that had fallen but... It made me feel very uneasy because of the timing. I just felt like something saw me take a headphone out at that precise moment and decided to act. We consulted our church, my therapist, etc. I tried many different things to remove whatever this was. Getting rid of items, praying, cleanses, you name it. I don't know what did it, but the combination of things seems to have worked. The final experience I attribute to this paranormal episode spanning many months, if not longer, was sort of like sleep paralysis, I guess. I was sleeping in my room by myself and I woke up in the pitch black darkness. I couldn't move, tried to scream for my mum but nothing would come out. And I heard what I can only describe as like demonic growling in my ear. I shut my eyes hard for fear of seeing anything in that moment. I said a prayer in my mind and I felt as if I was released but my heart was beating super fast. Thankfully, that though seemed to be the end of anything paranormal for me for many, many years. All in all, after everything that I've been through, I fully believe now that this was demonic in nature and knowing my ex and his family dabbled in some dark stuff for their own gain, it makes me wonder if whatever was attached to him attached itself to me or at least attempted to. I would appreciate too if anyone could provide their own thoughts on what I may have been experiencing. But thanks for listening. It's good to get all of this off of my chest. Around May 2019, I became sort of oddly obsessed with the paranormal. I read a ton of books, Amy Deville Horror, and all of the Ed and Lorraine Warren books too. And it was through this obsession with the paranormal that I learned of a supposedly satanic castle in my local area. Firstly though, I live in a county in Scotland that is dotted with a few large towns and a lot more villages. There's nothing much to do around here, but there's a lot of great places to explore, I suppose. I usually go cycling with a friend, if the sun's out, that is, and that's how we always get to the castle. 
I don't know how old the castle is, to be honest. Although articles say sometime around the 1200s. The castle itself is hidden deep in the forest and is pretty tough to find. So far, as I know anyway, there are three ways to get to the castle, two of which require you to trudge through a lot of mud and crisscross your way down a pretty steep slope. But when you reach the castle, the first thing you'll see is the larger tower-like structure protruding through the trees. Below is a stone archway, which is usually home to a makeshift fireplace, which I'm guessing people use when they camp here. Beyond that is a towering stone wall, and below that are two iron gratings, which give a view into the chamber. A set of stone steps lead down to the gratings. If you pass through a small archway in the wall and follow the path down, you'll get to a small entrance, which you'll need to sort of crouch through to get into the chamber. Passing through a small corridor will bring you to the cathedral-like chamber itself, and standing towards the gratings on the left is a stone stairway that winds down until you come to a blocked-off wall. Now, this is where it gets a little weird, but bear with me. The castle was supposedly built by a necromancer, who made a deal with the devil to summon an army of goblins to build the castle itself. As such, many burned out candles can be found in the chamber with a lot of sinister messages written on the wall. Me and my friend cycled a lot here in May of 2019 and there were a few odd occurrences. The first I remember was when I was standing at the gratings outside the chamber. I heard a sort of sharp whistle behind me but when I turned around there was nobody there. This obviously could have been a bird but just swooped down behind me but it still spooked me a little bit I have to admit. The second time, me and my friend were coming up to the castle when we heard what sounded like children playing, but the castle was completely deserted. It's worth noting too that the castle is on a hill of sorts. Down the hill is a river that winds through the forest, and if there were people there, they would have had to have come our way, and we definitely would have seen them if they went down the hill. The third oddity though... Me and my friend brought a bunch of candles and matches to take some photos of the illuminated chamber. We lit one and then carried it through the corridor and set it in the chamber. We repeated this process about three times and on the fourth candle, we heard a sort of large hiss coming from inside the chamber, almost as if a large anaconda was in there or something. And man, that terrified me. Especially when we ran and we thought that all the dry leaves in the chamber had caught fire. I ran in, but when I did, the candles were still flickering and nothing was on fire. Me and my friend still occasionally cycled to the castle. Nothing strange has happened for a while now, but I feel like the whistle can be easily explained. The voices as we came up to the castle, then seeing that there was nothing in there is a little tougher. But the hiss is what I have the most trouble rationalizing. It was really loud and it definitely sounded more than just like leaves or something. I've been there and I just cannot figure out what it was. And that really troubles me. I moved into my new house in March this year with my partner and our son. When we first moved in... The old guy that lives downstairs, his name is G, told us the previous tenant had a dog that died. Apparently, he couldn't bring himself to bury it, so he asked G to bury it for him. 
He also let us know that the dog's grave was marked with slabs and kind of asked us to stay away from it. In the summer, we started digging up the garden to replant grass as the garden was full of moss. G came out and informed us that we would need planning permission from the council to dig up the garden. I checked and this isn't true and never has been. When we got to where the slabs were for the dog's grave, we sort of dug around it a little to lift the grass, but with no intentions of moving the slabs. But my partner informed me that he had found barbed wire. To start with, we assumed it came from the wire fence at the back of the garden as it's really close to it. My partner and his friend tried to dig up all of the barbed wire, but instead of leading to the fence, it surrounded the grave, going deeper into the ground. We had to cut it and stop digging at some point. Since then, I've spoken to the family and friends about it, and every single person has said that I should dig it up just in case it's not a dog. But what do you guys think? Should I dig up the garden? A few other things too that could possibly be red flags here is that I live in the UK and we have big outdoor bins where I live. We have like three. G keeps his in his spare room for storage and pays another neighbor to use their bins. He also has a big white van that he keeps parked far away from the house. Once he had the van here painting parts of it black and my sister saw a bed in the back of it too. I don't even want to know what's back there, but I'll also admit that this could be nothing. I mean, I do watch a lot of true crime and could be reading far too much into it. It truly could be just absolutely nothing, but I don't know. What do you guys think? G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. 
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.